can uh, be here together. Hey, what a great day yesterday. What a, what a great game yesterday, right? How about those Golden Eagles? Hey, they won homecoming yesterday, right? Go Golden Eagles. Wings up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope you had a great day yesterday. I'm glad that we can uh, be here together today uh, to worship God, do something far more important than whatever we did yesterday. Uh, it is good for us to be here together. I'm glad that you have taken the time to start your week this way to worship God. Today we're going to continue our series on sanctification, the idea that this is where I am and it's where I'm going. And as you can see on the screen today, we're going to talk about how can I sanctify God in my body. And again, the idea here is that sanctification, God has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. He has separated us from the world. He's more importantly, perhaps, has separated us from our sins. We're no longer in connection with our sins. We've been forgiven of those things. God has cast them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. And we are thankful for that. Praise God for that. But we're also being sanctified. We are in the process of making our own lives completely and wholly about God in everything and in every aspect. We're going to look at probably about four different sections of Scripture this morning. I hope that you'll take a Bible uh, and turn with me to these places. Our first section uh, will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black book in the back of the pew in front of you. That's a copy of our pew Bible, and that's on page 987. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 8. Before we get to that, I did want to also remind everyone about a service project we're doing as a congregation. Uh, we're providing uh, 10 meals to 10 families uh, that may not have the opportunity to have uh, Thanksgiving meal this year. We're going to actually do, I uh, just found out this week, we're going to do seven at Sycamore Elementary and then... Uh, most of you probably know about this, but maybe not everyone. Uh, UCHRA, the Upper Cumberland Human Resource Association, I believe, is UCHRA. Uh, they help people find jobs and get back on their feet and get out of poverty and all those types of things. And we here are hosting an event uh, for uh, some of those, that group uh, and trying to uh, be mentors for them and providing the facility for them to do that program. Uh, so we're going to do seven of those 10 meals from uh, Sycamore Elementary and three of those 10 meals, I think, are going to also be through those, uh, those families. Most of them are single mothers, uh, maybe not all of them, but most of them are single mothers. So uh, there's a sign-up sheet right outside uh, this, this doorway, and please sign up for that. We need uh, quite a bit of food. The, the church is going to provide the hams uh, for those meals, but we need to make sure we provide the rest of the food for them. And all that food is due on the 16th, that's a Wednesday night, and then on the 19th, that's a Saturday, we're actually going to go and deliver. So whether you can uh, provide the food, provide some money to help cover the cost of the food, and pack the food, and deliver the food, we want you to be all over all of that. Uh, so if you can help us in those ways as we reach out to our community, and help them, that would be a great thing for you to do. So sign up, uh, bring the stuff by Wednesday the 16th, help us to deliver it on the 19th. Sanctification. How can I sanctify my body for God's glory? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul is beginning to wrap up his letter and he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us, you also ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Well, let me stop there and just say that is a description of what sanctification is. Notice what he says, that you've received these commandments from us, you've received how you ought to walk and please God. Then it says, in parentheses, parenthetically, it says, just as you do walk. He says, hey, 
You're walking well. You're walking as you ought to walk. You're walking and you're pleasing God. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, we encourage you to excel still more. You can become even more of who God wants you to be. That is sanctification. If you're a Christian this morning, you're sanctified. And you are being sanctified. And God is working within your life and you are working within your own life to make that happen. Verse number 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is what God wants for you, your sanctification. There's that word again. And then he gives three ways in which we are sanctified, okay? Number one, that you abstain from sexual immorality, okay? You separate your body from sexually immoral things, okay? We'll talk more about that briefly later on. Number two, verse four, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not like not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So first of all, you sanctify your body through abstaining from sexual immorality. Secondly, you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. That means you use your body in a way that is set aside for God and it's an honorable way. And then number three is in verse six, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Number three, you sancti- number one, you sanctify God by abstaining from sexual immorality. Number two, you sanctify God in your body through holding your body in honor and sanctification. You use it for God in an honorable way. And number three, you don't bother anybody else with the things that you do or the things that they're trying to do for God. Don't defraud your brother in the things that they are trying to do for God. Verse number eight, consequently, okay, what if we don't do this? What if we don't sanctify God? What if we don't sanctify God with our body? Consequently, He who sets this aside, who doesn't pay attention to this, who doesn't apply this in their life, he who sets this aside is not setting aside man or an idea from man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. When you reject this idea, this morning we're going to talk about, at least at the end of this lesson, four kind of generalized ways where I can sanctify God with my body. I can use my body for God's glory. Okay, we're going to talk about four ways briefly and generally at the end of the lesson. And if you set that aside, you're not setting aside something I'm saying because I'm going to try to present to you what God says. And if we set aside what God says, we're setting aside this Holy Spirit that he has offered to us, this gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation and the word and, and the message and the life that he has offered to us. This is a big deal. And I want to take just a few moments to, to try and understand what does it mean when you're not rejecting, you're not setting aside a, a, a man-made idea, but you're setting aside, and more importantly, you're rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you remember probably several weeks ago, and now I think it's been four or six weeks, uh, when uh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away? Uh, do you remember the, uh, the pomp and the circumstance? We could, I could ask for a raising of hands, but probably most of you at least saw some images if you didn't watch the, the live stream of the uh, processional. Uh, I mean, just extreme pomp and circumstance. When her, her father, King George uh, III, I believe, passed away in 1952, they, they had a, uh, a television uh, program, and it was actually probably, at least in the United Kingdom, the birth of modern, tech, uh, modern television. Uh, because previous to that, radio was more important in the United Kingdom uh, still, even in 1952, than television was. But when uh, the king died, people wanted to see it, and they, not everyone could make it to London, and so they, they broadcast it. But even at that point, it was still relatively localized, just in the United Kingdom. 
they would send um, uh, recordings of it to America and to other parts of the world. And some people in France could p- pick up the live broadcast because of the, the distance of the radio waves and that sort of thing. But this, the, the mo- one more recently with Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, it was, it was worldwide news, wasn't it? It wasn't just something in the United Kingdom. It wasn't just something in Europe. But, but people from all over the world, hundreds of millions of people, perhaps billions of people watched it or have watched it. And some even, of course, watched it live. There was extreme, again, pomp and circumstance. It was a, it was a big deal. And you can look at the, the uniforms and you can look at the, uh, the marching and you can look at all those types of things. And maybe you've experienced something similar to that when you think about the idea of pomp and circumstance. When we think about receiving the Holy Spirit of God, if we reject, listen, if we reject the idea of sanctifying our body for God, we're not rejecting man, we're rejecting the God who gives us His Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwelling within us. Turn with me to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles chapter 2. That's an Old Testament book. Uh, it tells us about some of the kings of Judah. Again, if you don't have your Bibles, it's on page 359 in the uh, Pew Bible. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 2. You'll probably remember and, and, and recognize that uh, King David, the, the greatest king of the uh, of the Israelites, he wanted to, to build a, a temple to God. He wanted to build a dwelling place for, for God to come and to live and to dwell upon this earth amongst his people. Uh, but he, God told him, hey, that's a great idea. I appreciate that. I, I love that you are interested in doing that for me, but, but I can't allow you to do that because you're a man of bloodshed. You've, you've shed too much blood. You've fought too many battles, and, and, and you're not going to be able to do that. But maybe your son can do that. So his son gets ready to do this. And in Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, notice what Solomon, David's son, the wisest man who ever lived, one of the richest people who ever lived, who's got this, this job of building the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, of God himself. Notice what he says, Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Now the house which I am about to build will be great, for greater is our God than all the gods. Amen? Greater is our God than all the gods. Verse number 6. But who is able to build a house for him? For the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I that I should build a house for him except to burn incense before him? He says, listen, this house that I'm about to build... It's going to be great because greater is our God than all the other gods. But, but who can hope to build a house for God? The heavens and the highest heavens, they cannot contain him. So who can build a house for God? But he sets up this, this desire. And in the next couple of chapters, we see the, the preparation. David has been, prepa- has been preparing and he's been gathering uh, materials, the, the best of the best. And they, they hire the, the absolute best um, people to, to do it, the, the artisans and the, the craftsmen, and they, they try to build it absolutely the best they can. I tried to come up with a couple pictures here of, of what it might have looked like, but let me just say it this way. Uh, after the, the kingdom falls, Israel falls, and after uh, both Israel and Judah are taken away into captivity, later on they come back and they rebuild the temple. Okay, they rebuild the temple and and some of the people that are there apparently are are pretty up in age because they can remember before the last temple was destroyed. And when they see the new temple that's glorious and, and, and splendid, they weep because it's nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. There was something special about Solomon's temple. It took a ton of preparation. It took a ton of effort to put this together. And we read about this 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 great job, this great burden that Solomon felt to try and, and make this ready. 
Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Let's read verses 4 through 7. 2 Chronicles 5, verses 4 through 7. Let's notice some of the, the pomp and circumstance as they are uh, preparing uh, to dedicate this temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Actually, verses 4 through 7, I believe. Let me check my notes. Uh, yes, verses 4 through 7. It says, uh, Then all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites carried the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. And they brought up the ark and the tent from the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent, the, the Levitical priest brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who congregated with him before the ark were sacrificing, listen to this, they were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of Yahweh to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house to the holy of holies under the wings of the cherubim. So here we have the, the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, uh, that golden box that has been carrying some special items for the Jews where the presence of God is supposed to be uh, in the tabernacle. He dwelt upon the mercy seat, and now they're building a, a permanent home for him in Jerusalem. This, this glorious temple that Solomon has spent so many years building and so much time and effort and energy, and, and, and it's just a special, special place. And they've got this pomp and circumstance and they're bringing the ark into, this, uh, into the temple and specifically into the Holy of Holies. Uh, following this, there is uh, the opportunity for uh, some singing and some, some prayers to have uh, been offered and, and, and reaching out to God. And then notice uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. So here is the culminating event. Think again about that, that pomp, pomp and circumstance of the, the Queen of uh, England's passing and her funeral and just how, how, how splendid it was and how much pomp and circumstance there was. And now they've, they've built this temple for their God. And Solomon knew that it was going to be a heavy burden. Who can build a house for the Lord? And in one passage we didn't read, in Second Chronicles chapter 6, God says, you know, for a long time I've been with you and I haven't chosen a city and I haven't chosen a place. Listen to that. I haven't chosen a city and I haven't chosen a place to dwell, but now I have. I've chosen Jerusalem and I've chosen, I've accepted this temple that you're going to build for me, Solomon. And in chapter 7, uh, after a prayer from Solomon, the fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord, the presence of God fills the temple and it fills it in such a way that the priest can't even enter into it it reminds us of what happens earlier in the old testament when when moses has face-to-face conversations when he's on mount sinai and at other times when he has face-to-face conversations with god it describes it as if his face is glowing and it's glowing to such an extent that the people can't even look on him it's painful to look on him the glory of the lord so he actually has to wear a veil sometimes in order to, to not hurt the people's eyes as they, as they look upon him. This is a, a glorious, splendid, amazing event that we've just read about. That the presence of God dwells within the temple in the Old Testament. Well, you might be asking yourself, Andy, what does that have to do with sanctifying my body 
for God. Let's turn to some New Testament passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. Paul tells the Christians at Corinth today, and the same is true for us. Do you not know, Christian, that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Look over to chapter 6, and let's read verses 19 and 20. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul again tells those Christians and tells us today, Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary or a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Listen, I do not claim to fully understand what it means that the Spirit of God dwells within Christians. I don't. But I believe that it's true because the Bible says it. Think about the time, the effort, the care, the concern that those who worked on the Temple of Solomon put into that effort. Why did they do that? Because their God had chosen to dwell among them in the temple. And now God in the New Testament says, this God who we read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, hey, if you reject this, you're not rejecting. If you reject this idea that you need to sanctify your body for the Lord, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit God has now said, I have not chosen a place in the past. I have not chosen a city in the past. I chose Jerusalem. I chose the temple, but I'm no longer there. No, today I choose you. I want my spirit to dwell in you. Do you think they sanctified the temple of Solomon? Do you think they set it aside for a specific purpose? Do you think they did everything that they could to make it worthy of the one who would dwell within it? What about us? What about you, Christian? What about me? Are we doing everything that we can to sanctify our bodies for God who has, if you are a Christian, he has said, my spirit is within you. Romans tells us that if you don't have the spirit of God, then you're not a child of God. So there's, there's no question about it. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is to dwell within you. Is your body sanctified for the Lord? What does it mean practically and briefly this morning? Because the reality is we could talk about each of these in uh, a, a series of sermons if we wanted to. But let's think about briefly four things. What does it mean to glorify God in your body. Ultimately, and I was having conversations with, with Evan and I think Jesse was there and what a, what a blessing it is to work with those guys. Lot, lots of the things that you hear me say that are good don't come from me. I steal them from Evan or Jesse, okay? Uh, so you can talk to them and you'll, you'll be uh, blessed by being with those guys, working with Bo, working with Rachel. It's a, it's a, we have a great ministry team here. You guys thank them and be thankful to God for them. But what does it mean to glorify God in your body. Ultimately, it means something as simple as this. God is greater than my desires. 
God is greater than my desires. Let's, let's look at that idea in four specific ways. Sexually. Sexually. I don't care if your sexual desires are heterosexual, homosexual, or any other type of sexual. If you're a Christian, God is greater than your desires. And so you submit your will and your actions to his plan. And he has told us what is okay sexually. So I, I don't... I, Yes, there's struggles, and yes, there's difficulties, and yes, there's conversations to have there, but ultimately, it doesn't matter what kind of sexual desires we have, the question will be for the follower of Jesus, will I submit my sexual desires to God? God is greater than my desires, whatever they may be, because heterosexual desires can be just as sinful as homosexual desires if they're acted upon, can't they? We must submit those things to God. Secondly, what about substance abuse? Whether that's alcoholism or drugs or whatever else it may be. And let me be mindful of this, that the, the idea here that, you know, there is certainly a, a difference between giving into desires and being addicted to something. They're related, but there can be a difference. But the reality is, whether it's an addiction or whether it's just a desire, I've got to submit those things to God. <clears throat> Either way, I've got to make a change. I've got to make a difference. I've got to do what God wants me to do. If I'm addicted to something, am I going to have to get some, some more counseling, some more help? Am I going to have to maybe go through more processes? Absolutely, maybe you will. But the, the idea here, here is, with substance abuse, no matter what substance it is, God is greater than my desire for that substance. And I've got to do whatever it is to make sure that in my life, I do my very best to sanctify my body, not for that desire, but for my God. Thirdly, what about gluttony? What about gluttony? Whether it's food or stuff or greed or pleasure, what about gluttony? Giving in to my desire. Gluttony, in, in essence, could be simply des- described as giving in to my desires more often than I should. Whether it's food, or stuff, or greed, or pleasure, will God be greater than my desire for those things. And why is that important? Well, it's important because gluttony is a specific thing God mentions that gluttony is a sin. We, we have to make sure that we're not participating in, in gluttonous behavior, whatever that may look like in your life. It might look something different in my life, but gluttony is not okay because if we are experiencing and participating and giving into our desires more often than we should, then our body's not sanctified. Our life is not sanctified for our Lord. And I've got to do that. And I think that directly relates to, certainly in the conversation of gluttony and food, what about our health? Does God care about how healthy my body is? I would say that he does. Why, why would God care about how healthy my body is? Well, n- not always true, I understand. But generally true, the better health you have, the longer life you live, the longer life you live, the more opportunities you have to do what? Serve God. What does God want you to do? He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to live for Him. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to love others. He wants you to be a disciple and make disciples. So that's just four. 
you could probably think of and maybe already have thought of some other ways that specific ways that I can sanctify my body let's review them quickly again sexually I don't care what kind of desires anybody has they must be submitted to God God is greater than my sexual desires number two substance abuse I don't care what kind of substance it is that you have a desire to partake in your God has to be greater than your desire for that substance thirdly gluttony I don't know what that looks like in your life you do know what it looks like in your life what desire do you give in to too much And how does that take away your body from being sanctified, set aside for the specific purpose of glorifying God? Glorify God in your body, Scripture tells us. And fourthly and finally, what about your health? Whatever that may look like. What about your health? Are you taking care? Listen, what did he say in in one of the passages that we read? Whoever destroys the temple of God, God will destroy Pretty strong language, isn't it? Whoever destroys the temple of God, God will destroy. Lastly, this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at verses 10 through 14. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. It says there in Hebrews chapter 10, it starts out with, by this will. Well, that will there is talking about God's desire for your salvation. It's the will of God that you'll be saved. By this will, we have been sanctified. There's our word again. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he he makes, of course, as Hebrews does, if you're not aware, Hebrews makes a lot of parallels between Old Testament law and New Testament life. Okay, and here he makes another one uh, starting in in verse number 10, uh, verse number 11. And every priest, the the priest of the Old Testament, stands daily, every day, ministering, offering, and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. All the sacrifices, probably hundreds of millions of sacrifices, maybe billions of sacrifices that have been offered since the time the law was given, none of those ever took away sin. Verse 12, but he, Jesus, having having offered one sacrifices for sins for all time, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the time until his enemies are put under a footstool for his feet. And then the verse 14, for by one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This morning, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 8 told us, if we reject the idea, if you say, ah, it's not really that big of a deal, I don't really think I need to make any changes, I don't really think it matters. If you reject the idea that your physical body is for your heavenly Father, then you have not rejected an idea of man, you've rejected the idea of God. God's will for you is your sanctification, specifically the sanctification of your body. I hope that if you need to make a change, you'll make that change. I don't know what it is. I've got work in my life to do. You've got work in your life to do. But let's make that change. And if you need help, if you need professional help, get it. And we can help you with that. We can point you in the right directions of some folks who are capable of doing that type of thing. If you need spiritual help, we want to help you. We would beg for the opportunity to help you spiritually. Let us talk to you. Let us, and and it won't be, hey, this is what I know and I'm better than you are. It'll be, hey, these are my struggles. What are yours? Let's help each other out. That's what this family at Jefferson Avenue is about. But I want you to be encouraged by Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Talking about Jesus' sacrifice. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The idea of sanctified, where I am and where I'm going. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14 says, You, Christian, if you're a Christian, 
you are perfect. He has perfected for all time. If you're a Christian, you're perfect, not because you're so great, but because God is so great. But you know what else he says? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christian, you are perfect and there's some room for improvement. You're perfect. In the eyes of God, you are perfect. And in your life, there's room for improvement. I know that's true of you. I know that's true of me. This morning, what in your life, what in your physical life is keeping you from your heavenly Father? What in your physical life, what are you using your body to do that does not bring glory to God? God would say to you, stop. God would say to you, change. God would say to you, I can make you perfect and we can make you better. This morning, if you have a need that you want to tell us about, we want to be here for you. We are here for you. But more importantly than even that, perhaps, if you're not a Christian yet, God died so that you could be. God himself put on flesh so that he could experience life like we experience. We talked about in our Bible class this morning that God the Son understands you in a way that God the Father does not because he put on flesh He was tempted in all ways as we are. He experienced trials the same way that we do. And now because of that, he's not ashamed to be called your brother. And he's our high priest who understands what we're going through. And he made that one sacrifice that has perfected Christians. If you're not a Christian this morning, why not today? Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been wondering about it. Maybe you've been asking yourself if you're ready. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God? Will you name him and live for him as if he is your Lord? Will you turn your life around from anything that does not belong to him and turn towards him? And will you submit to baptism where you come in contact with the blood of Jesus and all your sins are washed away? And that is when Jesus says, you're perfect. Christians, we all know there's room for improvement. God died for us so that we might live for him. Are you doing that? Do you need help? What will you change in your life today to become more like him? If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.